last week of Advent, which is after Advent is technically over. Um, and the last week, if you know, is generally love. And I found this a little ironic that I was asked to do the love one. Because if you know me like this, which probably most of you don't, you know that I'm not a really lovey person. Uh, mushy, lovey stuff kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. And you can ask Caleb about that later. <laughs> he often complains that I don't have a romantic bone in my body. <laughs> One of my worst nightmares, actually, is marriage conferences, when you're asked to stare into each other's eyes and tell each other things you love about each other or renew vows. It, it just, ugh, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I was telling Caleb this um, a couple of weeks ago, actually. I think maybe as I was preparing for this. And uh, I said, I don't think I even like that on my wedding day, and he said, I know. I was like, oh. Apparently it was uh, obvious I have some issues. <laughs> so for me to be given the topic of love was a little bit ironic and a little bit funny to me. But luckily for me, God's love isn't the mushy kind of love. I'm sure he feels mushy love sometimes, but his love is action. And I can understand that kind of love. His love is a lot deeper than the mushy stuff that stares into each other's eyes and whispers sweet nothings. In the Bible, God often is described as a shepherd, and I've never really thought about this in, in the way that I did this past month, I guess, until I started studying this, how odd this um, example of God is. See, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, shepherding is not something that was a dignified job. It's not something that people wanted to aspire to. It was actually a pretty low-class thing, something that was looked down on. So shepherding isn't necessarily a, a terminology that we're used to unless we're in the Christian home, grew up in a Christian home or in the church, and then you probably heard it a lot, but you maybe didn't stop to think about what it meant to be a shepherd. A lot of us are farmers, uh, us, not me. A lot of you guys are farmers, and we live in a rural area, so the idea of farming is common. We think of big, beautiful farms and farm tables and animals and stuff. Um, but the, uh, the um, concept of shepherding, especially in the, old, um, the ancient world, was quite different than farmers today because Israel is a pretty hard land. Um, shepherds were semi-nomadic. They traveled around. They found the areas that worked for their sheep. They moved if there was droughts. They lived off the land, and they lived often just under the stars. So they, weren't, they didn't have beautiful homes. They weren't probably clean, and they weren't the same as what we think of as farmers today. Today, farmers still care for their sheep, or excuse me, their animals in similar ways. They still feed their animals. They still wake up at ungodly times of the day to feed them, to put them out to pasture. They check them over for illnesses and injuries, and they care for them or take them to someone who can. So that's the same. But just the whole lifestyle is a little bit different. In the ancient Near East, there were the most common animals were sheep and, sheep and goats, and particularly fat-tailed sheep, who had these long tails that could store fat that would enable them to survive when, the air, when there was times of drought and not water and not much food available. The land of Israel was rough, and it was difficult. It would have been very difficult to set up the type of farm that we are used to today. The land worked very well, however, for these kind of sheep. I totally changed the way I was speaking this. <laughs> Let me just find my spot. So shepherds in the ancient world 
would bear a lot more resemblance to homeless people actually today than they would to our modern day farmers. At one point in history, however, like around Abraham's time, shepherding was actually a career of high status. But by the time of even King David, this was no longer the case. And this is obvious by the fact that when Samuel came to see the sons of Jesse, they didn't even actually bother to call David in to see him. David was the youngest, and that was a pretty low-status place. But he was also a shepherd. And in fact, when, Jesse, uh, excuse me, when Samuel said, don't you have another son? They were like, well, there's David, but he's just a shepherd. So by that, it's pretty obvious that shepherding was not something that people wanted to do. So considering all of that, it kind of struck me this month that God compares himself continually throughout the Bible to a shepherd. It's something that shows a lot of love. Shepherds, like mothers, have to show love when it's not fun and when it's dirty and when it's hard. But it's not something that people, unlike motherhood, that people aspire to. It's so low status. We're going to look back at Ezekiel 34. Paige already read this this morning, but I'm going to reread this. The Lord proclaims, I myself will search for my flocks and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out the flock, when some in the flock have been scattered, so I will seek out my flock. I will rescue them from all of the places where they are scattered during the time of clouds and thick darkness. I will gather and lead them out from the countries and people. I will bring them to their own fertile land. I will feed them on Israel's highlands, along the riverbeds, and in all of the inhabited places. I will feed them in good pastures, and their sheepfold will be there, on Israel's lofty highlands. On Israel's highlands, they will lie down in a secure fold and feed on green pastures. I myself will feed my flock and make them lie down. This is what the Lord says. I will seek out the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the wounded, and strengthen the weak. See, God's love is action. All of these things that God describes are action. This is the kind of love that sacrifices itself. This is the kind of love that carries the wounded and tired even when the shepherd himself is exhausted and tired. This is the kind of love that washes out stinky, dirty wounds and cares for the sick and misses out on sleep because some foolish sheep wandered off and got himself lost. This is the kind of love that puts itself in the path of danger to protect others. It's messy love. It means getting dirty for the sake of others. The passage in Ezekiel is a lot, a lot like the familiar one in Psalms 23, and I'm going to read that again in the common English version. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He, lets, he leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. God is described as a shepherd again in Isaiah and many others, but I'm just going to read these three. Isaiah 40, 11. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them up onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. The New Testament also is full of shepherding imagery. Shepherds played a really important role throughout the whole Bible for people as well, from Abraham, excuse me, from Abel to Abraham and Jacob and King David and many others. But the most central theme of shepherding is God, God the shepherd, and Jesus the shepherd as well. Both describe themselves as shepherds throughout the Bible, and they're also described by others as shepherds. John 10, verses 11 through 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. 
That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks and the sheep's, excuse me, a wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand and the sheep don't really matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I give up my life for the sheep. There's something interesting about the shepherding image. Um, today I often think of when I think of, uh, besides farming, when I think of herds of animals, I think of cattle. So that leads me to the thought of cowboys. And that's kind of a different sort of imagery than the shepherding thing, but it, maybe it's more common to us. We think of cowboys with their um, horses and their whips and they're driving the cattle. So the whip is an instrument of discomfort and fear and it's kind of what gets the cattle to move. Trust me, I've actually been whipped by a bullwhip and it is not a fun thing. It's not gentle, it's not necessarily loving. And this is not the way that shepherds worked and this is not the way that Jesus describes himself in John 10. The ancient shepherd had to have his animals trust him. They followed him because they knew that he loved them and they knew that they could trust him. And he led them sometimes from the front, sometimes he was beside them leading them, but also in order to guide them and to protect them, especially the weak or the young or old ones, he had to follow them from behind and kind of just gently guide them along, maybe carry an injured sheep. <clears throat> Fat-tailed sheep are not small. Uh, I don't know if you have a particular image in your mind of what they look like, but imagine like a really big, beefy sheep. I think these ones in this picture actually are fat-tailed. I tried to find them. Uh, the average one actually weighs about 42 kilograms, which is 92 pounds. And they can be quite a lot, like almost double that actually, especially the rams. So carrying them required a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of strength. It was hard. It required love to do this. Let's change gears just slightly because Jesus didn't only compare himself to a shepherd. He also compared himself to a sheep. In the very first book of the Bible, when sin entered the world, a lamb had to be sacrificed. In order, this became a critically important sacrifice did throughout the Bible. In order for people to be made right with God, sin had to be paid for. People do bad things and payment had to be made. And blood is the way that payment was made and justice was served. In order for people to have a relationship with God, a lamb had to be sacrificed to make payment. Because God loves us so much, he provided this way to make us right with him. A lamb's blood could be shed in place of yours and in place of mine. But lambs could only provide a temporary fix. Something better was needed. Everything in the Old Testament shows us that lambs only could provide a temporary fix. I like to look at the book of uh, Judges as an example of this. The people try to do good, they apologize, and then inevitably they do worse than their parents did before them. And they apologize again and they say we'll do better and they sacrifice and they do worse. And this is kind of a theme throughout our lives and throughout especially the Bible. People keep trying to do better, but a sheep's blood can only help us from our past sins. It can't provide a permanent fix and it definitely can't change our hearts. We needed a better lamb. And then one day, a better lamb was born. And something happened, oof, sorry, that's so strange and also so perfect. You see, 
The people of Israel were looking for a messianic king, a conqueror. They thought that he would restore the glorious days of King David and King Solomon. When, the king, when kings and queens are born, there's a lot of anticipation, and I think we can all understand this because of recent royal births. We know that there's excitement that builds throughout the pregnancy, and then when the baby is finally born, there's announcements, and there's excitement, and there's parades and cheering, and everyone finds out. When a lamb is born, on the other hand, very few people hear about it. I don't ever remember hearing on the news that a lamb was born. Shepherds know about it, of course, because he probably stayed up all night caring for the sheep, caring for the mother, and making sure nothing happened to her, and that everything went smoothly during her birth. And he might have told another shepherd if he was sharing his fire with another. But it, he certainly didn't go throughout the towns announcing it to everyone. And if he did, people probably would have slammed doors in his face. We've already discussed that shepherds are not very, were not very prestigious in the ancient world. They were dirty from living outside. They probably smelled bad. And they were probably a little awkward, honestly, because they spent all of their time with sheep instead of with people. Shepherds were certainly not the ones that would announce a future king. That's just crazy. But when Jesus was born, it was shepherds who were chosen to herald the good news, potentially the best news ever. How fitting that the birth of a lamb was announced by shepherds. Let's read the account. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. The Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go now to Bethlehem and let's see what happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. Then quickly, they, quickly, uh, they went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what had been told to them about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told him. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. It's interesting to me that the lowest of society were granted the greatest honor of all time, being the first to hear of the news of a king, and not only a king, the greatest king ever, the king of kings. The first to tell others of his birth was also those of lowly stature. God, the good shepherd, had chosen shepherds to be the first agents of his love, the birth of love incarnate. Two weeks ago, Amos spoke about peace, and he spoke about how, oh, excuse me, <laughs> that's not where I meant to go with this. Two weeks ago, Amos spoke about how when he was reflecting on the birth of God and the peace that that brings, um, he kept finding himself going to the cross and Jesus' death. And that was interesting to me because that was kind of where I was going as well. I kept, find, I kept finding myself focusing on the cross when I was trying to focus on um, the stable. Can't think of words. <laughs> 
And it's always interesting to me when things like that stand out to more than one person. As I prepared for today over the past few weeks, my thoughts couldn't help but go to the cross. See, the birth of a lamb inevitably leads to the sacrifice of the lamb. In the passage that is quoted so often that it often loses its shock value, Jesus said of himself in John 3, 16 and 17, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world through him might be saved. And then again Jesus said in John 1, verse 29, look, excuse me, it was said of Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Love is action. Love sacrifices. Love keeps going when it's tired. Love cares. Love gives up comfort for the sake of others. Now it's the part where I talk about Amos' peace thing. So two weeks ago, he talked about how Jesus was the peace on earth. And that really stood out to me, and I think I've said it before, and I probably even said it on Christmas Eve. Because it's just something that, that little tidbit that I just kind of can't let go of. For some reason, I never really thought about it that way. That Jesus was the peace on earth, and now we're the peace on earth. It's really, really cool to me. But Jesus was also love incarnate. And we who, follow, we who follow him are his hands and feet, which means that we are now the love incarnate to others. And this world really, really needs love. We're called to be his agents of love to this world. How can you show love this week and this new year? Don't do it in your own power because you're going to just burn out or fail. I know I definitely do when I do it in my own power. Ask Jesus to show you how to show love to others, though and provide opportunities, and he will definitely do it, and he'll definitely give you the strength to do it as well. And he'll give you a lot of second chances when you fail, or when you miss those chances, and when you mess up. If any of this is new to you, or if you haven't heard of this love before, and you don't maybe understand it, please come and talk to me or Pastor Lindsay. We would love to talk to you. You can talk to us today or any other day, actually, and we would absolutely love to talk to you about that. Dear Lord, thank you for using my broken words and stumbling over everything to get your word out, for using even this broken vessel. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you, Lord, in your name. And I hear the Savior say, strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, cause Jesus paid it all, all to
Today we heard about a shepherd and all of his sheep, and we are all of those sheep, and we have a shepherd that cares for each and every one of us, and we look out and we care for one another. And so as we go today, may we truly, truly know the love of God. And as Christina alluded to in the beginning, it's not that ushy-gushy kind of love. There's this deep, deep, rich love that God gives us and he entrusts to us. And that's the beauty. I still can't. There's that song um, offering, and it says the manger became the uh, throne of grace. When we could not reach heaven, heaven came down and reached us. And I love the words from that song. And remember that. That is the love that our God has for us. So as we go out and as we celebrate the love that God has for each and every one of us, if you do not know that or you doubt that, please stop. Have a conversation with the person next to you with Christina or I, but please don't leave without knowing that deep love of Christ, that beautiful shepherd who's there for us to walk with us. When we're on the mountaintops, we're in the valleys, it's the same God, and that is what we celebrate, his love that he never leaves us, never abandons us. So go, go with the peace and joy of God in our heart, and you're going to play us out as we sing. Absolutely. So please go and enjoy the season. <clears throat> Amen. You are our refuge and our strength We will not fear when the earth gives way For you are the rest